Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Krause explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. Have you ever dreamed of being the next Michael Crichton, the next physician who writes the medical thriller with psychological and political intrigue? Well, I've invited someone here today who is doing just that. She has three incredible books out and getting ready to have a fourth. I'd like to welcome to the show, Deborah Blaine. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Tammy. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. I've never had an author here before, and I just want to hear everything, how you got started, how you published, how you come up with your content ideas. I'm so excited. Can you tell? (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that so much. And I love that you mentioned Michael Crichton because like he's my idol and I'm so upset that he died before I got started writing and got to like meet him and say, hey, can I pick your brain a little bit? (laughs) But yeah, he's amazing. I'm trained in family medicine and I was doing urgent care, mostly urgent care for about 33 years, a couple of family medicine, you know, gigs here or there. But I was doing that because I became a single parent when my son was two. That was just easier. You know, it was shift work and it was less stressful than the hospitals. Because at that time, there was no such thing as an emergency medicine board. It was all like, I think a lot of psychiatrists used to work in emergency rooms back then. So a little dinosaur. I've been doing that. And it's just the way that medicine has changed. It's become very, you know, much priority is on profit and lately on politics. The profit part was really getting to me. But now that it's been so politicized, it's even more distasteful. I started looking for other things to do. And I went to the SEEK conference. If you know about SEEK. Don't um, think so. What is that? It's an organization. It's S-E-A-K. I actually asked John Jerica what it doesn't stand for. And he said it's the initials of their kids. (laughs) I wonder I could never figure it out. It's a conference they hold twice a year. And it's for physicians who are looking to train in or get information about alternate careers whether they're non-traditional medical careers or non-clinical careers. It's a fabulous conference. And one of the options, they give it in, I think, February and November, maybe. I Don't quote me on that. But they give different sections of, like, if you want to learn how to become an expert witness, or if you want to learn how to do chart review, or if you're interested in writing, so physicians for writing. And so I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I was so frustrated with my job. I just, I had started writing things here and there about different patient interactions. I had about, I don't know, 60 pages written, maybe less by the time the conference came up. I went to the conference and I met up with this guy, Rich Krivolin, who was just sort of walking around. He's a screenwriter, a former faculty at USC. He went around and he said, you know, during one of the breaks, if you want to talk to me about your writing, sign up here for your 15 minute, whatever. And I signed up, you know, whatever. Anyway, the conference was amazing. And it was all about how to get your book published and how to get an agent. There was a whole section on medical writing and on, you know, writing CME. And it wasn't just for creative writing, fiction and things like that. So anyway, so I met with Rich 
for 15 minutes and I told him what I was doing. And he said, well, you know, I'd be happy to look at it if you want to send it to me. And I said, well, you know, I just found lying here. And I took out the 60 pages because I'd brought it along. And I gave it to him and I wrote my contact information. And, you know, I didn't really expect to hear from him. But about five days later, he sent me an email. He said, well, first of all, you can write. And it's very difficult to work with people who don't have the basics, you know, and I guess like uh, as far as grammar and making the sentence structure and like it's really frustrating sometimes to work with someone who hasn't got that down. Mm-hmm. Now we have all kinds of tools like Grammarly and stuff like that to help people along with that. But anyway, so we emailed back and forth and then I hired him. We worked together on and off for probably nine months. And. He had a workshop out in Los Angeles coming up, and I ended up going to that. And we were at the workshop, and one of the things he wanted us to do, he said, I just had this collection of encounters with patients, and they were all based on real encounters, and they're all somewhat outrageous. But I changed the names and, you know, some of the details, so you couldn't, you know, really know. And he also told me to write about the most powerful thing I could think of, like something really compelling. I wrote a chapter about how I discovered that my brother had died because it was very sudden. And I said that. And so we all read each other's things. And when it was my turn, they all looked at me and said, well, so what happened? Was he murdered or was he killed? I mean, it was like really sudden, like out of the blue. And there were all these questions and he did need to get an autopsy and all this stuff. So they said, you know, you got to go with that. You got to make that into something. So everybody had an assignment for Saturday night. My assignment was to write a plot to go with my story. Like, write a plot. Okay, so I went onto the rooftop of the hotel and I wrote a plot. Then it became a murder mystery. It became a medical thriller. And I didn't want it to be, well, because he had asked me before, is this going to be fiction or nonfiction? I said, well, it can't be nonfiction. They'll sue me. <laughs> right? You know, as I'm working for. So it became a medical thriller. And so then I wrote this whole story based on, you know, what might have happened to this guy, Ruben. I named him Ruben. And then with Rich's help, I wove the two stories together. You know, so I was really telling both stories. So not only did Rich tell me this, but the hybrid publisher who I first went with, they said, you know, you did a really great job with the thriller. You don't need all this stuff in the office. And I said, but that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I wanted to tell people What's happening in your doctor's office? Why we can't authorize your medications? Why we can't spend more than, you know, three and a half minutes with you? Why we have to put all this stuff into the EMR? Why, you know, we can't do the procedure that we'd like to do or why some people are doing more procedures than you think you need? That's what I wanted to write about. I wanted to bring awareness to the public of what's going on. And so my initial name for that book was The Other End of the Stethoscope. And they said that doesn't sound like a thriller. So it became Code Blue, the other end of the stethoscope, because I wouldn't let go of that. And then we published that. But I discovered I really loved writing. Undue Influences is a lot about extremism and the way people don't think. And they just jump and they go for what their friends say and what can happen. But it's a whole government intrigue conspiracy of our minds being manipulated and brainwashed and how that's doing it. And I like to put a lot of science into it and how can this possibly be happening? And so even in the opening scene, if you've read that far, which is just the first part, you know, I even had little, you know, Joshua comes in covered in blood and he doesn't remember anything. Then they find out the blood's not his. But I even have things like 
his mouth was really dry. He was having trouble urinating. Now, if you're not a doctor, if you weren't thinking like that, it wouldn't be something that would mean anything to you one way or another. But I wanted it to be accurate because I know what he got drugged with. And I know what some of the effects are. And no, it doesn't show up on your standard talk screen. Like I infuse it with things like that. And they had to figure this out. And then I just kept going, you know, and Beyond the Pillars of Salt is about what happens to our society if, if undue influences really comes to pass and we lose all of our ability to have free or fair elections, then we end up with dictatorship. And if we continue to ignore the planet, it's going to restructure itself. And it may not be habitable for any mammals, much less human mammals. And so what is that going to look like and what will we have to do? And so Beyond the Pillars of Salt is about how a small group of people, kind of the people that you meet in undue influences, how they manage to get away, how they solve the problem of faster than light space travel. And there's a few new characters and how committed they have to be to doing better, to forming a society that will do better. The fourth book, we're on the planet Meraki and the one that's coming out, hopefully uh, it should be up in September sometime. They're on the planet Meraki and meeting new spe alien species and how we interact and what kind of judgments do we make and what kind of rules do we apply to behaving with aliens because our society has so much anybody who's different. There's kind of this tendency to look. In fact, there's one section in this new book about what rights are you attributing to them? Like, don't they have the right to live? Don't they have the right? Do they have equal rights to ours to survive? Like, you know, these questions of what is the most authentic, compassionate way to live that has integrity and respect for everyone else. I think that's why I like writing so much is because I like to kind of infuse that stuff, but I try not to make it so obvious. I want to just make it a really suspenseful book that you can get into and character driven and you can care about, you know, what's happening to who. And, and then, you know, maybe something gets through to some of those. Undue Influence is the one that you're reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish I'd have finished it before I got on here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I realized that there's very likely that I was going to piss off both sides. Sorry about the language, but the extreme liberals and the extreme conservatives are both going to hate the book. But I decided, well, that's it. I mean, that's my whole thing is I can't stand extremists. There was a time that you and I could have a conversation about something in politics. We could disagree about everything. And then we could say, okay, where do you want to go for lunch? Right. Yeah, nobody does that anymore. It's We're like so polarized. Oh, you, don't, right now. you don't believe the way I believe? Oh, I can't associate with you. So that's why I did that. But now I really want to start earning a living at it. I started taking this Groundbreakers course. It's with Brian Cohen, who if anybody out there is a writer, Brian Cohen, Brian with a Y, he's like a big name in teaching authors how to use Amazon ads. And he's now gone beyond that to how to configure the metadata, which is the descriptive part of your book, which is online, or what's on the back of your book, how to put yourself in the right categories so that you'll be found by the right readership, how to use the right keywords so that Amazon knows who to present your book to. So far, I've had one-on-one -on -one meeting with one of the coaches and she was amazing. You know, I feel like they have brought authors, you know, up into the really six digits for a profit. And I really would love to do that. But I also see that the people who make a lot of money writing have a lot of books out. So I just need to keep writing. And that's one phase of my life. <laughs> I love it. You know, you had mentioned when we were just kind of talking, getting to know each other in the last few weeks before we came on to do the interview, you said that you've combined all of your special interests, all of your loves. You said you even maybe wanted to be a forest ranger at one time, so you like to write about animal welfare. I love yeah. that you've combined 
everything that you love, everything that you know, your medical career into doing this writing. I mean, I love that. So three out of four of the books have animals in it. The fourth book, there's an animal who turns out to almost be the hero. I just love doing that. And the book opens almost parallel to the way the book closes. But in one case, you know, it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And in the other case, it's like, it's okay. One thing, you know, I think as an author, you never want to leave your readers feeling like, well, why did that happen? Oh, that's horrible. And they will never want to read another book. So, you know, it doesn't mean everybody has to survive. But even if they're going to die, it has to be in a way that's comforting to the soul. It's like, it makes sense. Not comforting, but it's like, okay, I get that. That just sort of fits with what needs to happen because nobody lives forever anyway. As I told you, I recently had to stop working in the clinic. I had gone to halftime and that helped me for a while with burnout. I got COVID really late last January. Like I hadn't had it since until then. I, I didn't have the stamina to do 12 hour shifts without a break. They actually put it in writing and said, Unfortunately, there are no breaks in urgent care because I said, well, you know, I could go back to work if I could take a 15 minute break a couple of times during the shift. No. So I ended up quitting. In the long run, I think it's going to be a good thing. It's, you know, like the universe has pushed me and said, okay, you wouldn't do this on your own. I'm going to make you do it. (laughs) And I took a certification class in uh, medical writing. So now I'm actually doing content writing. I'm writing emails, blogs, newsletters. I'm finding that I'm starting to pick and choose. Like, I don't really want to do data analysis. I want to, like, I have an article up on my website about the healing power of purring. Like a cat's purr is, you know, roughly at 26 hertz. And the studies that have been done on that vibration and how that actually can precipitate bone regeneration. People with cats have a tendency to have fewer heart attacks and strokes. I mean, like they've done research on it. And so for me, it's like, Finding, ferreting out that research, no pun with the word ferret, and putting it up there and writing a piece that's sort of understandable, but, you know, is not only, it satisfies for me both my need to use science and medicine and also, you know, to be a proponent for animals and conserving our earth, which is like in a disastrous state. So I only want to write now about the things that really inspire me. That's wonderful. Can you talk a little bit about the publishing side? I think you do mostly self-publishing on your books. The first two books, I just sort of fell into a hybrid publisher. A friend of mine knew someone and I sent it and it was accepted like right away. And they're great people and nothing bad to say about them at all. And they taught me a huge amount, but they take so long. You know, they just take a really long time. And there's no way, whether you're published traditionally or with a hybrid, that you're going to make a significant amount of money unless you self-publish or unless you're Dan Brown. Okay. I'm sure he doesn't self-publish his books, but he doesn't. (laughs) Or Michael Crichton. Yeah. But he also produced films from his book. But so for the third book, which was Beyond the Pillars of Salt, they just took way too long with undue influences. And I said to them, and they were perfectly willing to publish any book that I wrote, which was very nice. But I said, you know, how long is it going to take? And they said, well, you know, originally they would write these things six months and it was never six months. And so this time they said, well, we're going to promise you a year. And I was like, so to wait a year, maybe longer to get the book out. And especially with Undue Influences, it it was very timely. It was like really about 2020. And it didn't come out till 2021. I was upset about that till late in 2021. And so I was thinking, you know, I know people self-publish, but I don't know how to do that. And it was really funny because I remember when I thought that to myself and I went, I don't have a genetic defect that says I can't 
self-publish. I just don't know how to do that. It was like, I was dismissing the idea because, oh, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, oh, but I could learn. There's a Facebook group. It's a fabulous group. Uh, women Physician Writers. I don't know why it's only for the women, but there's so much support in that group. And, you know, I reached out to someone and one person spent some time in an instant message thing. So then I was looking at other self-publishing options online. And there was a company that said that we'll self-publish it for you. And I said, oh. And then I remembered that this one person whose book I had read a while ago, she had used, I could have sworn I saw that on her, the spine. I looked it up and it was. And so I messaged her, this is someone else. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about going to this company. Just wanted to know what you think. And I'd already talked to them and they sounded great. Our colleague, she writes me back like within 10 minutes. She says, run away from, and she tells me, she said, I'm getting on a plane right now, but I can talk to you in two days. So in two days we chatted and she told me how she self-publishes. She told me what program she uses. She told me what you have to do. And I was like, okay. And then I just, I just said, if you have any trouble, call me. But I, I was able to, that's what I was saying. Well, you know, I don't have this genetic defect that I can't learn this. I put it together and she said she personally, she uploads to every platform separately she said it's a little bit of a pain in the butt, but in the end, it gives you a lot more control, a lot more visibility than sending it to Ingram Spark and having them distribute it. And then you never make much money again because oh. they take a big percentage first. And their printing costs are always a dollar a book more than Amazon's printing costs. So I've gotten an entire education on what you need to do. And so that's one of the things I coach people on is how to self-publish your book. And what I do is I give them information and I kind of hold their hand and I give them all the links and you're going to set up your account with Amazon and with Apple and with Barnes and Noble. And I tell them where to go for that. Here's where you can register with the Library of Congress to get it copyrighted. Here's where you can get a barcode and where you get your ISBNs from, those little identifier numbers that are on your book. And I've learned a lot. So you don't have to get the ISBN if you want Amazon to do it, but then you can't sell the book anywhere else. You know, it's kind of like that. Barnes & Noble will give you an ISBN, but you can't sell the book anywhere else because it's their ISBN. I think it's better to buy it. And these places will also format for you. I've heard some nightmares about how it was formatted or not formatted properly. So, And I'd rather format it myself because then when I, after I published Beyond the Pillars of Salt, a friend of mine said, hey, you got a typo here. And I was like, oh, no. So like I could go back into, if you find any typos, please let me know. Because <laughs> I can go back into my program and fix the typo, regenerate the file and re-upload. And it's, it's just as easy as that. And it's as easy as that. And, you know, like Ingram used to let you do it, but it's $25 every time you make a change and it takes forever. No, but this is like, you just have more. I was able, when I republished Undue Influences with a better cover, which I've now learned is not a thriller cover. It's a sci-fi cover, but we can work with that. I was able to add the first chapter of Pillars to the back of Undue Influences. As you're reading, when you get to the end, you know, hopefully you'll read the first chapter and you say, oh, I want to read that book too. So you right into put, the next one. Yeah. And you can put links in and change, you know, it's just, there's so much control and versatility and the royalties per book were like four times the amount. Oh my gosh. So that's one of the things I love doing for authors is to help them publish their books by themselves. I mean, the only thing I actually do for them is I format for them and give them the files if they don't want to buy the software and do it themselves. But they can also tell them how to buy the software. It's not even that expensive. And 
if I can do it, <laughs> anybody can do it. <laughs> what about promotion? How do you get your book out there? How do you put it into the world so people know about it to go look for it? So that was easier before the pandemic started because I had book talks and things like that. I was at the, I live on Long Island. So I was at the Long Island Arts Council last spring and I was able to bring books. One person bought all three of them. <laughs> I was like, wow, it's so cool. So, you know, it, it's the old style ways is, you know, to go in person. I have my book in one private bookstore. It's difficult to get your book into a bookstore if you do it yourself because the bookstore wants a certain discount. But what you can do is you can go to them and say, I will give you some books on consignment. When you sell them, this is what you'll give me. Okay. So I have that. And Zoom, you know, like Zoom book clubs, I've done some of that. But the thing that I've been doing a lot of is the Amazon ads, because those people are on a purchasing site looking for a book to buy. And so how do you get to those readers? And so that was actually like one of my introductions to the whole world of copywriting is you have about you know, three seconds or less to grab someone's attention. They're just going to scroll. And if you don't reach out the page and grab them, you're not going to, you're not going to make it. So that's why I'm now doing this more in depth. You know, I did well with the Amazon ads, but then you have to, you know, you also have to pay for them. So now I'm learning a lot more about how to get to the right people so that more clicks result in sales, more impressions result in more clicks and more clicks result in more sales. So that's where I'm kind of focusing you can do Facebook ads. You can do, I've had my book out on Instagram with, you know, little reels, which was really hard for me to get used to the fact that I have to put my face on there. And it's like, no, your face is more important than just the book. And I go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not really, I haven't historically been good at that. I'm working on it though, just to be a little more out there. Any plans to try and get like an audible book or anything? I know a lot of us on our way to work commuting like to listen to books. Everybody's asking about that. So you have two options with Audible. Either you record it yourself or you hire someone to record it for you. If you record it yourself, you need a, first of all, since, since COVID, this isn't my voice anymore. I feel like a gravelly old lady and I didn't have a voice like this before January, but you have to have a soundproof room. You know, it's tedious, even though it would be a labor of love because I love my books and I can make the different intonations and different voices. But if you don't do that, then you have to hire someone. You can do that one of two ways. You can either give them a percentage of your royalties or you can pay them outright and you keep all the royalties. So, but it becomes expensive. I've heard a lot of people say they don't really make money on their Audible books. They just, they want it to be there for people just to get, you know, just to get the book out there in the world. I haven't decided. That was a very long-winded answer to say I haven't decided. Part of me is like, I don't know if I want someone else reading my book because when, like, have you, I don't know, for me, when I read a book and then I see the movie, I always feel like the book was better. Yeah. Because it was my own imagination. I did with the book what felt right to me. If it's a book and now it's almost like it's being made into an audio movie and it's going to be different. And I don't have any control over how that's going to, I mean, I do a little bit, like you can, you, you listen to parts and say, before you even hire them and you say, okay, or like, no, you have no idea who I am. Like everything in the book world, it's a brand new profession. It's a brand new field. There's all these things that I would never have thought were, you know, it was that complicated or in depth. But you know what? Don't get me wrong. If somebody, you know, approached me and said they wanted to make a movie, I would have to let go of the same things 
But, you know, I'd have a movie and I think if it was like on Netflix or HBO or in the, on the big screen, although who goes to the big screen anymore? Yeah, I mean, that would that would be different because I feel like the visibility would be so much better. I don't know. I had never really compared it to the movies before, just before talking to you. And maybe it is kind of like that, but. Interesting. Well, if anyone else is interested in trying to get started with a writing career, I know you do coaching. Can you maybe point them back to yourself so they can get some pointers and tips on how to navigate this whole world without starting from ground zero? Like, sounds like you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> for sure. I have a website, so you can get there from deborahblaine.com. But I also purchased a designer web name, which is allthingswriting.com. And it will bring you, if you go to the services page where it has writing, writing services for authors, you'll find out all this. And, and there's a contact page and you can set up a, you know, a discovery call and we can chat. And yeah, I mean, my favorite people to talk to are authors. So, And then one more plug for your book coming out in September. Oh, it's good. It's called The Meraki Effect. And it's not quite out there yet, but you can catch up by reading Beyond the Pillars of Salt or even starting with Undue Influences. But the Meraki Effect should be out in September. And it's going to be my first um, solo sci-fi, like just on the planet. There's two different sapient species. We, the humans, have to learn to get along with both of them. And they each have, one, one species are telepaths. And they really look down at us. And they don't like, they don't want to associate with us. And we're just these, you know, really kind of, base, you know, creatures who can't, who are blind to each other. And the other species are sort of like overgrown cats. They're called the Razzits and they are empaths. So they don't talk, but they definitely communicate through emotions and they can feel human emotions. When a human is, humans can communicate their feelings to them and it makes a difference and for good and for bad. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. And there's, uh, there's already hinting of the next book in the series. So. Oh, I can't wait to get through the whole series. <laughs> well, thank you. But if people do buy my book, which I hope you will, if you like it, please put a review, a five-star review on Amazon. If you don't like it, don't bother with the review. Just send me a message and I'll see if I can fix it up for you. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, I have had really good reviews. I just don't have nearly enough of them. And that's one of the things that buyers look at when they are deciding whether to purchase a book if they want to see how many reviews you have. So my overall, my reviews are great, but I just, I need more. I, I need more undue influences. I mean, just from page one, you're grabbed. You're totally into the book after just reading the first few sentences. So I can't wait to finish it. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> Let me know what you think. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll put it on Amazon. Find it there. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Peace. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Deborah. I'm so fascinated that you've been able to make a career of this, and I wish you all the luck in the world. Well, thank you so much. And I love what you're doing, and I really appreciate your inviting me. And I hope that other people out there, doctors, I think it's mostly doctors, mm -hmm. you know, can can just sort of feel like they're not the only ones who are dissatisfied in whatever they're doing and that there are ways to make their lives better and not get to the end of their life and say, I never got to do what I wanted. You got to go out there and grab it. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in today. And again, you can go to Amazon to find Deborah Blaine's books. You can go to her website, allthingswriting.com or deborahblaine.com. And I hope you'll all tune in 
again next week for Grand Rounds.